Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. And today I'll be talking to your MEC Chairman, Will McQuillan, also your Negotiating Chairman, Chris Gruner, and Strategic Planning Vice Chairman, Drew Coyle. Thank you all. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. There's a couple important topics to cover. The first is, as I'm sure most of you know, an MEC special meeting just concluded last week where the negotiating committee was in for some in-depth conversations with your elected leadership. And we're going to talk about that, what occurred, why it was called, and what's going to happen next. And later in the episode, we want to clear up a, a little bit of misunderstanding or a little bit of confusion about the rebid of the recent position bid. So uh, I guess, Will, uh, maybe I'll start with you. The, the special MEC meeting, why was that called? Well, we're just at a critical point, David, where we really needed the MEC's input and for them to become completely uh, immersed in the work that's been done to date by Chris and his team. And I guess I've been there too uh, throughout the last few weeks of negotiations and to get their input which was obviously heavily directed by uh, input and feedback from the pilot group on some critical areas and some things that we've been trying to work on for some time. And it really gives us the direction that Chris and his team need to move forward for the future dates that are now set in August. So Chris, I'm, I'm sure the pilots want to know as well, what, what are the status of negotiations? How, how has it been lately? Yeah, there has been a lot of progress, David. So that was a big reason we needed to go talk to the MEC. So Big priorities that we've heard from the pilot group all along are uh, scope, work rules, and then pay in line with the industry. And so we're continuing to move down that path. And as far as scope goes, um, we're starting to uh, pull that section together. And so we needed to bring that to the MEC to see where their uh, perspective was on it as we get close to or closer to wrapping it up. And then when we're taking a look at uh, work rules, um, We've reached a lot of agreements with the company, but um, you know it's a complex section. We're not just looking to put band-aids on individual pieces, and so every time you touch one section, right, it's going to affect another. So we needed to make sure we were on track with how we're prioritizing things to make sure that uh, we could find the right balance to achieve what you guys are looking for. Right. And I think a lot of those scheduling topics are so critical. We needed the MEC's input because they deal with the pain points that the pilots have told us time and time again have got to be readdressed, whether that's reassignments or cancellation or trading flexibility, the quality of the pairings that we fly, things like that, um, and reserve, obviously. There's just a whole lot of moving pieces to it, and they all tie in together. Yeah. And we've been making progress in all those areas. And I think it's important to say that. So you know, whereas previously, you know, we've decided not to meet with the company when there wasn't a reason to do so. Um, this has been different. So this has been productive. Yeah, it's been productive discussions, yeah. um, good problem solving. I think, uh, you know, when people ask to characterize the room, it's really that we identify this is a pain point. This is a problem for our pilots and it has to be meaningfully addressed. And we're actually seeing progress of acknowledgement of that in a lot of cases and the ability to move forward on those items and in line with the MEC's expectations, pilot expectations, and peer airlines too. And so while a lot's been done, there's still work to do, and we're still fighting to make sure that we have a contract in line with your expectations and to continue to work to achieve your priorities. And we're also aware of the broader environment. So that's been something that has certainly been part of the discussions. We wanna make sure that 
you know, we're not negotiating that last cycle, right? We're negotiating this contract yeah, we're cycle. Negotiating forward. And as we've said on many of these podcasts, I have ongoing contact and conversations you do with the other negotiating teams. So we're aware. And, you know, what strikes me in a lot of these conversations is that each of these other properties is really just working to address some of the very same pain points. And so we're all able to, you know, in some ways compare notes and, and move forward in a lot of the same fashion. But I think, you know, you'd make the point that whatever we negotiate has to be right for our property, right? And for our pilots, because every contract is different. And so we'd, we'd skin the cat differently sometimes. Well, and that's what this meeting was about. So going back to that a little bit, David, is, um, you know, we didn't have one scheduled until August 1st, but there had been so much progress and uh, work done and it happened really quickly that we wanted to make sure we we're staying on track to get uh, the direction from the MEC and we're staying in line with what your priorities are. So we sat down, went over our progress to date with the uh, MEC, your elected representatives, and then they from there went ahead and uh, make sure that they gave us direction on how to continue to proceed, let us know if where we needed to course correct and gave us uh, direction to continue moving. And then they'll take another look at uh, where we are at that August 1st MEC meeting. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you all the phone calls and everything else that you have been providing to your elected representatives, they bring all that stuff up at these meetings. And then we deliberate, work through it and make sure that uh, we are following your direction. Yeah, I, I was super happy with the discussion, the debate, and, you know, everybody bringing up what they'd heard from their various, you know, pilot portions of the pilot group. And uh, I think it was a, a, certainly a very productive meeting, meeting discussion. Everything went well. Yeah, yeah, I would certainly agree with that. And let me ask a question to put a finer point on the the question of organizing the everything that you've been doing lately and that because it I don't want people to think that you've just been out there creating your own thing and you're coming back to the MEC saying look what we did is this okay it's just you're talking about refining the goals that you were sent there with right it's not like we're making anything new up we're not going our own way but now as we start to process these things in a way that tightens up the section and gets us closer to the end. We want to make sure it's achieving the goals and the expectations of the pilot group as we look forward as well. Yeah. And it's more than just the the meetings too. I think probably most people don't know that we have weekly calls with the MEC on the, on the line for 60 to 90 minutes. And so they've been fully immersed in the uh, status of negotiations. You know, I think about this in a way in terms of cross-check. As we move forward in this process, we're all kind of coming back to the, you know, you've got the small group of the NC that comes back to the slightly larger group of the MEC. And then that goes back to the much larger group of the pilot group. And there's this, we, no one wants to go off on one direction without making sure that they're tied in with the entire group. And that's, that's, I think maybe another way to describe what happened at the MEC meeting. And, and another thing I'd like to get into talking about is that feedback loop with the pilots. Yeah, and before we jump into that, I think it's also important to note that while we all share common goals, you know, flexibility, uh, things along those lines, right, quality of life, increased days off, job protection, there's different perspectives on how to tackle those different things. And then so just being able to sit in this room with the reps and have them advocate for each of their blocks and then work through balancing that, they do a good job uh, respecting each other, working hard through difficult issues, and then coming out of the room on the same page to make sure that we have the best contract that achieves the goals of this entire pilot group. Yeah, absolutely. The feedback that they're giving to you and also to the MEC officers is coming from the pilot group. So it's really important. And really, this is 
in a way a call to pilots make sure that you're engaged with the process and and make sure that you're engaged with your block rep and i'll you know we've got drew coyle here he's the strategic planning vice chairman but i think most of you know before that he was also a seattle block rep and i'll bring you in here drew in a second but i'll i'll sort of lay myself bare with a bit of a, a mea culpa for my lack of understanding of the role of the block rep when I was brand new at my first airline job with the union representation. And I thought of the rep as the person you call if you got in trouble and didn't really think much beyond that of, of the nuance. But it's it's really important to understand the role that those block reps play in creating the career that you are going to participate in. So Drew, you, do you want to flesh out what I'm talking about there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what's most important to take away from what a block rep is, is they represent you in everything that the MEC does. In this particular setting, we're talking about negotiations with the company and, and setting direction to the negotiating committee, to the MEC officers as we move through a process like this. And really and truthfully, we keep talking about how this is a, a ground up organization. It's the pilots, the pilots will, what the pilots need in a new contract. And that's really what your, your block rep does is they, they go out and they, they interact with their pilots and their block. They get that feedback, they get the direction that they need to go. And they're able to sit down during these MEC meetings when they're in session and drive that direction. They give it to both the negotiating committees, as I said earlier, as well as the MEC officers who really and truly are in charge of more of the executive branch of what we do, right? So they take that direction and they go out and execute on that. But the feedback part, I think, is, is what's really important. And I think this is a conversation we're having right now that's it's really important for everybody to understand what the role of their block rep is and what their role is in interacting with that block rep. Right. And as these negotiations get closer to the end, that feedback is important. And so we are we will be creating more opportunities for pilots and their families really to to engage with their leadership. And we do that in lots of ways. Uh, we did a coffee sit just uh, the other day uh, and met with a, a bunch of people in Seattle in the morning. We'll have more of those. We'll have some more phone events, the Family Outreach and Negotiations Education Committee and some other events like that that pilots and their families can go to. And I'd like to just remind everybody, your rep is always as close as a phone call or text or email. And I'll, I'll speak for him and Drew, you can uh, refute this statement or, or verify it, but I, I think the reps really wanna hear from you. I and mean, they, they took these positions so that they could represent the pilots and create a system that's better than it is today, you know, leave it better than you found it. So, so they want to hear from you. And I drew, when you were a, a rep, am I too far off base with that assumption? No, I don't, I don't think you're off base at all. I think that is spot on. When you decide to run for that position, I think all of us that have done it have, have done it to make a, a positive difference. And we're not here to make a contract or or make policy that benefits us. I think we, we saw this as an opportunity to affect change for the whole of the pilot group. And, and like you just said, we do have, we have a lot of tools that we use to interact with pilots and get the feedback that we need to, to make the direction. But like you said, your rep is always available uh, via a phone call, via a text or, or an email. And, and that's important, especially as we were talking about this 
changing and dynamic environment that we're in. If you are unable to make it to some of these events uh, where we're out interacting one-on-one, if you can't make those, it's imperative that you just pick up the phone. I know that we, we've made it pretty easy to find who your block rep is. Every email you get from Alpa will have which block you're in, and it'll list uh, all the block reps at the bottom. So if you're unable to, to reach out at, at some of these events and, and you have things that are on your mind or concerns that you're, uh, you want to make sure are addressed, just pick up the phone, write an email, and, and your rep will get right back to you. Yeah, thanks, Drew. And, and just to put one more point on this, sort of how ALPA works, it's probably worth noting that it's the elected LEC representatives who make the decisions about what ALPA does. It, it's not the officers. So I think a lot of people look to Will, right, Will? I get and, a lot and, of I get a lot of VFR direct feedback. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, rightly so. And, and you know, you are kind of the leader of, of the union, but you don't really have a decision making authority that that's all at the hands of the elected LEC members. Yeah, I, I mean, I want the pulse of the group, too. And I'm certainly I get that every day and every week from the, the reps. But every time that I do get an email or a text, then it ends up being forwarded off to the reps and, you know, redirected to make sure that the decision makers are are in the, the know. Right. Yeah. And, and I didn't bring that up to tell people not to reach oh, out yeah, to no. you. But, <laughs> but just the point is, I, I think it's important to know who makes the decisions and, and who doesn't. You know, that's, that's a really good point too, David. And I, I had a great conversation the other day at our, our coffee sit in Seattle with a pilot who made a point, you know, I, I'm here, I'm, I'm telling you guys, uh, us being committee members or, or committee chairs and vice chairs, or even the officers that were there, well, I'm here telling you what I need. And that is great. And we never want to discourage that feedback coming to us as well. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't go to the rep, if the reps don't know what's on uh, the minds of their constituents, and you know our blocks are, are roughly 300 pilots apiece, if they don't know specifically what's happening in their block with their block, it's very difficult to, for them to return to the table during these MEC meetings and, and set that direction. So we want to encourage all of the feedback that we get at every level, whether it be with the committees and, and the officers but also make sure that your rep understands what uh, what's on your mind. Hey, Chris, maybe you could provide some clarity. A minute ago, you mentioned that you've, these are proposals that you've had forever and you've had them passed over. Now that they seem to be negotiating in more earnest, why can't they just say yes to all that and be done with it? Why are we still spending all this time in negotiations? There's kind of two threads to that, David. So first of all, um, there's a lot of complexity to things we're doing. So it's not just slapping a Band-Aid on one piece of it. But again, it's trying to solve a holistic system. So as you do that, you might squeeze one part and another part expands. We want to make sure at the end of the day, again, we're balancing those priorities correctly. So as we go along, you know, we're explaining to the company what these proposals mean. And it's the first time that the company has sat down and worked really hard to understand what we're trying to achieve and why. And then they'll take a lot of those things back, assess what the impact would be. And then on many items, they come back and said, yes, we can work on that. Other things are still kind of open and we're working to tighten up, you know, some of that foundation to make sure again, that uh, again, we both fully understand what the language means, what the impact is, and then what that looks like moving forward. Because 
it's again, it's not just the operational piece, but it's also clarity on both sides of the table to know what we're agreeing to moving forward. So there's less ambiguity on what the language is when we start to implement. The other piece to that is that we want to make sure that we're getting input from the pilots as we go along, as we just talked about, to make sure that all the other pieces are staying on track. So for example, scheduling just did a scheduling survey. And I know that was for the current scheduling system, but we use that data to make sure that we're solving other problems and looking for ways to kind of mitigate that stuff. Again, we're talking to the reps like we discussed with you a minute ago, where um, seeing how other people are solving these problems and negotiations across the industry and all that stuff kind of helps inform what we're doing at the table. So the end result reflects again, the expectations of uh, the pilot group at the end of the day. And that uh, there's a good understanding with the company on, uh, how we proceed and move forward with the language that we agree to. And I think probably the most important thing when people ask about time and why isn't it happening you know, quickly is that it has to happen right. That's more or less what Chris is saying there, that there's a lot of working, moving pieces that tie together and it has to be right before it's done. And I answered that question a lot at that uh, airport sit on the 4th, you know, that's why isn't it done? What's the timeline look like? It'll be done when it's right. Well, I'd add to that, too. That was a common theme at the MEC meeting as well, is that the reps were very in tune with making sure that the decisions being made were the right ones, as opposed to doing anything for, for the sake of a timeline, but to make sure that what they decide is, is the right course. And I think they put a lot of thought and effort into that. Can I just ask you some questions about some items, you know, gets into a little bit more specifics? Sure. Take scheduling, for example. I know a question often comes up is, where is PBS fitting into that? And so in the context of getting it right, uh, to your point, Will, and, and Chris, to yours, of you know, it takes, it's nuance and one thing affects another. What are we looking at? What can we expect? Yeah, well, we've been adamant from the very beginning of negotiations that what we're looking at doing is to solve problems, and we'll use whatever tool we can use to get there. And so we've talked about PBS in that context, that it's a useful tool provided it's done right. And uh, we've worked hard to be consistent with that theme. So as we talk about PBS with the company, uh, again, we're open to it. We think it could be a beneficial tool for pilots provided that that's it's done right. certain <laughs> things are taken care of, right? So that there's uh, clarity on the language that when you guys see it and vote on um, a commitment to moving forward with that. And then also just having appropriate ALPA input and control of the process. Um, so those things are, as we've been hearing over and over again, essential. But at the end of the day, you know, we've seen a lot of satisfaction from pilot groups who have negotiated PBS with their management and come out with something on the other end that gives them more flexibility on the initial line award to prioritize things that the way, the way they want them prioritized, you know, whether that's more or less credit, whether that's uh, days off over uh, pairing construction or vice versa, you know, if you're able to differentiate all those things at the end of the day, then um, you get more people to get more of what they want uh, out of the original solution. But again, we know trust, transparency, those pieces are key. Yeah, it's a, to the theme of keeping everything has to be right before it's executed on the topic of PBS has to be right. But there are so many key moving pieces to it and things that we know from the pilot group and direct feedback. Those are the issues. It's those pieces that have to be right. And then potentially PBS is right. Because we've seen the opposite too. We all yes. know, we all have examples of uh, pilot groups that 
have PBS systems that have undermined their quality of life and have made it worse. And we're working really hard to uh, make sure that we are looking at groups who have done it well. Uh, there's a good template for it and to make sure that we're staying on track with uh, that kind of a solution uh, should we get this over the line. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, a PBS, a preferential bidding system, is software. And so it, it needs to be built robustly and and with protections in it. And like any other kind of computer software, if it's not done well, it's not going to be a good product. If it is, it, it could be. And obviously, none of that matters if you don't have good pairings to start with, right? So that's, and which I think is a lot of the work you're doing right now, Chris, right? Yeah, on top of that, we're you're making sure that the scheduling committee has appropriate input over the uh, pairing construction process, right? So, you, I mean, there's network limitations and things like that that they have to work within. But, uh, you know, within those bounds, just get them out with the best solution that they can uh, get. So, I mean, that's one piece. And then I think if you keep going, David, right, you, you still want to have the ability to trade. So a PBS doesn't negate that or you know, and so we want to make things more flexible for pilots along those lines and the reserve quality of life we hear over and over again, it's absolutely essential. So there's a lot of pieces there that we're working really hard on to uh, make sure they all fit together in a way that, um, cause you know, reserve quality of life, frankly, is going to impact trading. So we got to get that balance right on how all those uh, things kind of piece together. Obviously, there's a lot of conversation out there about the changing environment, what's going on throughout the industry, especially as it relates to pay rates. So where are we in that? Are you talking about it yet? What can we expect? Yeah, David, I appreciate the question because we do get it a lot. And uh, I will just say that traditionally and certainly in this case, economics are discussed very last in the process. Um, and so, no, we haven't had any active conversations. We had obviously a, a comprehensive proposal that we put out. And, you know, at this point, things have changed and we'll continue to have economics discussions in the future, but they've not been a comprehensive portion of what we've done at the table thus far. You know, especially that's actually why, you know, you get a lot of questions about, well, why haven't we seen something announced or tentatively agreed to? Why haven't we seen a TA in this or that? It's because a lot of the things that touch the economic components of this contract are left blank. We've got X's on them. It's all TBD and it'll be discussed at the appropriate time. And uh, I think that's kind of important to understand as well. So we spent a lot of time in this episode talking about the feedback loop and opportunities to meet with leadership and, and give them your feedback. Drew, I know you're planning a few events like that could you let us know what's down the pike yeah we we do have a lot of these events and, and we've we've been doing uh, a lot of them over the past year and a half and certainly as we continue to move forward uh it's important for us to make sure that pilots have ample opportunity to uh, get in front of, of the selected leadership as you speak of a couple of different things coming up the, the first one that i want to talk about is, is kind of a standalone event you mentioned earlier in the podcast that we do have a regularly scheduled MEC meeting for that first week of August. And what we've done is we've extended the availability of various committee members that will be present at the MEC meeting, the officers, and more importantly, your block reps will all be available for essentially what is going to be uh, an open house for every pilot to, uh, to come in and, and chat with all these people. So what we're trying to do with this event is to ensure pilots have access to not only the negotiating committee, their reps, 
various committee members, uh, like the scheduling committee, those committees that play uh, a really big role in a pilot's daily life, as well as the officers. So what this will do is it'll provide a lot of one-on-one -on -one opportunity for pilots to ask their questions about what is going on, what the direction is, but also continue to provide that, that feedback. The second series of events that I want to talk about, we, we did our first one just before this MEC meeting, and we were really looking to see what the format would work best. And what we plan on doing is expanding on this Alaska Pilot and Family Town Hall series. And what this will be is very similar to what we did last year with the West Coast Cookout Tour, minus an RV this time. We're going to go out in these individual bases and in some of these communities where we have large concentrations of pilots. We're going to provide that opportunity for one-on-one -on -one rep feedback as well. We want our reps to be involved in this. We want, again, a lot of our committee members who do a lot of work on a daily basis to be available to answer questions um, and, again, to be able to, to get that feedback from the pilots. So we are looking at uh, getting these dates on the book, and these will primarily be in the August timeframe. We do have, I think, our first event moving forward is going to be on the 22nd of July, and that'll be down in, in Los Angeles with uh, a lot more details to come on that. But what we really want to do is just make sure that all of our pilots continue to have access to the decision makers uh, that they've empowered. Thanks, Drew. I'll put details about the open house in conjunction with the MEC meeting in the show notes. And also, everyone, keep an eye out in email for more information about that. I'd like to change gears a little bit and bring up what I mentioned at the front of this episode, which is the rerunning of the position bid. And it also serves as a, a nice reminder about a, a cautionary tale in a way about the rumor mail, because I think there's a little bit of misunderstanding out there about the MOU that related to the Airbus instructors and FCF pilots and that some conflation about why it was rerun. So let's clarify that. And Will, you can speak to that pretty well. Yeah, I'll definitely try. Uh, with a, a history of being on the membership committee and running several of these bids, finding mistakes when the bid was run and having to rerun them is absolutely not unique. So I would start with, with that. That That's the whole reason that there's a, a two-week protest period, if you will, after the bid results are put out so that somebody who should have been eligible to bid for an upgrade or to find a clerical mistake in the processing or something like that can be uh, addressed. And that's exactly what happened here is that they're on the, you know, point out on the company side, some pilots who were eligible to bid were not allowed to bid. And so the bid would have had to have been rerun anyway to address those needs and to, to make sure that those pilots were treated equitably. And in this case, the, the MOU is actually a good thing. When we, uh, well, I didn't, I wasn't on this one, but when the membership team ran the bid, we ended up with a greater number of involuntary downgrades in the displacement process than was anticipated. And the company had approached us knowing that they needed to be able to maintain an instructor cadre and a functional check flight pilot cadre on the Airbus fleet as that fleet draws down. And that's not unique, by the way, that's been done here before, but they needed to do that. And by allowing those pilots to what we would say is a paper bid to basically, you know, move over to the Boeing, but only do it on paper meant they didn't fill an actual vacancy. And that enabled us in the rerun process to actually save a number of pilots who were 
previously were involuntarily downgraded. So, you know, the thing is actually when you look at it more of a win uh, in the net for what we focus on the most, which is making sure that the pilots who are eligible to bid were able to bid and also that the uh, greatest number of pilots that can be, you know, avoid being involuntarily downgraded were, were done so. So, you know, but to your point on the rumor mill, I think that that's certainly because the rumors get out there and this reinforces that whole idea of contacting your reps. And right now in negotiations, it's always going to be, I mean, the rumor mill has been very alive and well, and it's been interesting to, to see what topics and what, what types of things are being discussed. And the reps are right there, they're on the calls. And your first point of contact has got to be to talk to your elected reps and you'll get the straight scoop on things, whether or not that is like we addressed earlier, the status of, you know, PBS negotiations or things like this bid, then, you know, I think it's, it's just important that we make that, that loop, that other feedback loop continue. Right. If, if you hear something that is upsetting or aggravating, or it seems like you're, you're surprised that the MEC would go down that road, it's possible that they aren't. So it's very call, possible. Call right. your rep, get, get the, Get the straight story. Don't get mad. Get educated, and and then get mad. But do it from a place of education if if yeah. it's going to make you mad. Yeah, like like all things, there are always going to be decisions made that people don't agree with. But it's always best to understand the landscape before you decide. You know what the reality is. Right. So, well, just so I'm clear, there are two things that occurred. One was a, a mistake was found in the original running of the position bid, which required it to be rerun. Rerun. Anyway. Right. That would have happened regardless. And then additionally, and in some degree, coincidentally, the drawdown of the Airbus is requiring having enough of an instructor cadre that, that can keep that program alive while it closes down. Right. But more importantly, it gave us a means of affecting a number of pilots. It gave us a much better outcome for a number of pilots. Right, but that's not why it was rebid. No, right? oh no, no, that, it was the original mistake. It was going to be yeah. rerun regardless. And yeah. so this was just simply an opportunity to adversely impact fewer people. Right. And now that that's cleared up, unfortunately on an audit this morning, and this is a, a recording on Thursday, additional processing errors were caught. And the good news is they've been tripped, they've been mitigated, but there's, a, I think, a few takeaways now that the company's put out what they're calling the final, final results, it highlights again that this is a manual process. And I will point out that we have advocated, Alpa's advocated that we automate this process often. It isn't easy, and especially when it comes with uh, such dramatic reductions as we're seeing here with the, the Airbus drawdown. And with that in mind, I guess also a good cautionary tale that the best cross-check is still each pilot. That's what caught today's issue and, and the original mistake. Each pilot should audit the results and reach out immediately to the membership committee if it just doesn't seem right. Thanks, Will. That is an important reminder and also another, I think, good example of your union at work. And before we leave that, that topic of position bids, uh, system bids, David, I'd like to reinforce the point, too, that there are future bids obviously coming, but we continue to see pilots make mistakes in their, their bids and making sure that they bid not just for the upgrade, but also that they bid defensively with their original position, like we stressed on that last that last podcast, <clears throat> and that you use BP qualifiers or bid position qualifiers properly. Self-inflicted wounds are, are never good, and we continue to see those errors. So bid deliberately and carefully. 
applied correctly, it's a useful tool. Okay. Applied incorrectly, it can obviously adversely impact you. It, it, I'm ground zero of that, where I did an extra six months in Anchorage because I missed my base position qualifier for Seattle by one. Uh, so, you know, bid judiciously, think about it, and then, mm. but if you use it, it's a good way to protect quality of life in the base that you may want to go to or the upgrade that you may want to hold. Yeah. You know, I would give this caution. I think if you think you want to use that base position qualifier, call someone from the membership committee and just make sure that you're bidding what you think you're bidding, I guess, maybe a good way to put it. Well, and it's just to, to look very carefully and decide whether or not you're using it as a surgical instrument or as an approximation. And we've seen people apply it surgically amiss, and we've seen them do damage to themselves. Again, ground zero here. Right. Okay, well, thanks for that information. And Will, I, I think we've covered most of what we came here to do. So do you want to close us out? Yeah, thanks, David. I, I think the important thing is to highlight what we've said here today in closing, that things are moving well at the table, and we're continuing to solve the problems that the pilots have identified time and time again is critical to a ratifiable agreement. Problems that have been consistent in polling and feedback and problems that are being solved everywhere right now. It's not just here at Alaska with American, United, Delta, Southwest. You know, heard that loud and clear. And I also point out that if that changes, if they aren't moving well at the table, you will be the first to know, promise. Just as we've said before, beware of the, the rumor mill and stay in touch with your reps and come see us at the events that Drew spoke of. Your input, your feedback is just critical right now. And uh, we'll say at the same time, I know emotions are high, and this MEC also knows that expectations are high as well. We're listening, we're watching, and we're being diligent in our efforts. Whether from the reps, the direct feedback, uh, flying, or the monthly metrics that we get from the company, frustrations are high, morale is poor, but as we've said, it's gotta be right before it's in front of you. With that said, the most important thing to focus on in this environment is professionalism and safety. That's the primary calling, and I could not be prouder of how this group has, has demonstrated both of those for three years. Now more than ever is the time to stay focused, stay informed, and stay engaged. As I always say, the runway ahead is still all that matters. All right, thanks a lot, Will. And thanks, Drew and Chris, appreciate coming in. Thanks, David. Yep, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, David. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to thank our listeners. Thank you for staying informed, staying engaged. That's important as this process continues. We'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I've been your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, David Campbell.